The story of the first advent, according to Luke's telling, is the story of God pushing boundaries of respectability in pursuit of another kind of world. An ordinary priest crushed by imperial economics receives an angelic visit. A pious, barren woman of later years is with child. A young woman from Galilee, a region where many people face trauma, is given a message that she bears a son. The spirit is moving farther and farther from the centers of power and propriety toward those that are victimized by the Roman Empire. And then God reaches deep into the social fray to shepherds. This group I'll talk about online this week, but they meet another assembly, an angelic assembly. And the image of angels is quite popular in our, in our uh, experience. And so while we move through this series, Adventure Awaits, we are at an angelic assembly, a heavenly host, and then we'll talk online about the weary watchers and the starlit sojourners that come later in the text. But when we have been talking about these ancient prophets that are anticipating a new kind of world, we see that God fulfills that through an old man who's burning incense in a temple and receives an angelic visit and is told that at his old age he will have a son who will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And then this angel, Gabriel, appears to a young woman named Mary who's from Galilee, an area not looked upon with great respect by those that live down in Judea. But she has found favor with God. And she's going to bear through a miraculous conception the Savior of the world. And so today, this angelic assembly comes with a mysterious manifestation to a group of shepherds. Now what they look like and what they sound like, I have no idea, but in our culture there's all kinds of images of angels all the time. When you think about the Ark of the Covenant, yeah, Indiana Jones found it. Remember that movie from long ago? There's two angels that's on top of the mercy seat. And of course, most angels are represented by wings of some type, although that's never told to us in the Bible that they have wings. Um, And we have appropriated the idea of angels. How many of you remember Charlie's angels? So... Angels are a part of this cultural fascination. And the only thing that we're really told about angels is sometimes they're seen and sometimes they are unseen. And so today what I want to do is talk about this angelic assembly that comes to a group of shepherds and tells them the good news that there has been a baby that has been born who's going to be the joy of all the people, and he's going to be the Messiah, the Lord. So in a moment, we're going to come back to Luke chapter 2, but as we begin this morning, I want us to think a little bit about angels in general. 
The topic of angels appears over 300 times in the Bible. And sometimes it's individual, like Michael or Gabriel, they're named. Other times they come in an assembly. But it's a pretty prominent topic in the Bible when we think about both Old Testament and New Testament. And it's interesting that God goes to the extreme to communicate his unconditional love to us. But the mystery of the whole thing is the blurring of the lines between what we think is possible versus what we might think is impossible. Do we really believe that there is another world beyond the one that we can see, hear, touch, and taste? Do we really believe that there is something going on that's invisible to us? What if there are moments in time where there is an unseen force that seems to have played into our situation? Can you think of some of those moments where you kind of go, I don't know how this turned out the way it did. Why did this go the way it went? Maybe, just maybe, the present moment is pregnant with possibilities, not because we have all the answers or even have the ability to make the changes that we desire. Maybe it's because sometimes there's some unseen forces at work that we cannot use our senses to detect. So the world of angels. The Bible assumes the existence of angels. It really doesn't try to prove angels at all. And I want to begin with a short passage out of the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, as we kind of weave our way to Luke's story of the angelic assembly, is an interesting comment that is made. This is the story of Jacob. You remember Jacob and Esau, the Old Testament story, the two brothers, and Jacob steals Esau's birthright. Esau gets so mad that Jacob goes on the run. And he's been living in exile from his family, Esau in particular, his brother, for many, many years. And there comes a time when they're going to reunite. And as they think about reuniting, there's this moment in Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 3, and it's kind of stuck in the narrative for no apparent reason. Here's what it says. Genesis 32, verse 1. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Right there, just kind of stuck in the text. That while he's on his way, he meets a band of angels. And then the text moves on. He's going to reunite with his brother Esau, but for whatever reason, the editor of Genesis feels it's important to talk about how this assembly of angels met him along the way, and then Jacob names the place Mahanaim, which means 
two camps. Two camps. Kind of a strange name, isn't it? Two camps. Well, what's going on here? Well, Jacob is moving back toward his brother with trepidation, not knowing if his brother is going to seek revenge for what happened years earlier. And on his way back, he has this moment where he meets a band of angels that appears to be a visible crowd. Now, he says, because he met this group, this place is going to be called Two Camps. Maybe, just maybe, what he was trying to tell us by naming that place Two Camps is that you have the world that you cannot see, and you have the world you can see. In other words, the world that we live in has that which we deal with every day. We see it, and we interact with it. But then there's this other world. This other world is the invisible, and sometimes these two realms intersect. Strange and mysterious. But in our world, that is more dominated by secularism than it is by faith in an unseen world that we can't see, taste, hear, or touch, that secularism would tell us there is no unseen world. All you have is the physical world, the one that can be diagnosed and experimented with and pondered by science. In the modern Western culture in particular, there is nothing really that is transcendent. It's all what's right here and now. But not to Jacob and not to the other biblical writers. There's this unseen realm and occasionally, not often, but occasionally, the heavenly realm and the earthly realm intersect. And even though secularism might say there's only one camp, we all know stories and we all know people that we go, there's something more that's going on beyond what I can control with my own abilities. Heaven is near even though we don't know how to touch it. We certainly can't control it. But sometimes these two camps intersect with each other. And that causes us at times to be a little bit fearful. Because most of the time when angels appear in the Bible, those angels cause fear in the hearts that they appear to. It was true with Zechariah. It was true with Mary. It was true with Joseph. And it's true with these shepherds as well. And I guess if somebody told us that they had an encounter with a group of angels, we would probably say, you need to see your therapist, right? But not in the Bible. In the Bible, there are some things that you cannot experience with your senses. But the testimony that's there tells us that other people have experienced it, even if I haven't. You know, we have been struggling with COVID now for a couple of years. And at least early on, those who got 
COVID lost their sense of taste and their sense of smell. Now, can you imagine someone that was battling COVID and they had lost their sense of smell and they take a a plate of food and they can't smell anything. And they have somebody come over to visit them and they bring them a fresh out of the oven cherry pie. And they say to that individual, I just wanted to cheer you up. Doesn't that smell great? The person that has COVID could possibly say, ah, it doesn't have any smell because I can't experience it. Right? But to the person that baked that pie, they not only know it gives off an aroma, it's a pleasant aroma, and they wanted to share it with someone who is on the mend. Aroma, in general, is a phenomenon that really can't be seen, heard, tasted, or touched, but it can be experienced. And sometimes, when you have COVID-like faith, you have to trust the testimony of other people. How many of you like the smell of a campfire? Oh, I love the smell of a campfire. But to that person who has COVID, they can't smell that wood burning. But occasionally, if they were to walk out to the fire pit in their backyard, they could actually see some of the smoke, right? Go up. And they have to trust, even though they can't experience it at the moment, they have to trust that it's leaving off that wonderful aroma that as you walk in your neighborhood, you go, who has a fire burning, right? So the experience of angels is sort of like that as well. Now here's the deal. Because we cannot control or generate it, we often say it doesn't exist. But what we know is that occasionally the heaven intersects with the world that we live in. And the angelic world, I think, at times is a bit serendipitous. You can't predict it. You can't go looking for angels. Uh, You can't summon them. It just appears that they work within the framework of God's will. And in the stories where we find angels, we get the scent of the supernatural even if we can't figure out where it's coming from. So by trying to explain the nature of angels, we can miss the more important message that there is an unseen element to which we are living, where God intersects in time and space, and it is there that angels bring messages. Usually these mysterious manifestations is a way of God's caring intervention. If you were to ask me, what is an angel? Well, I could go back to the root word in Greek, it's angelos, which means a messenger. That's basically what it means. A messenger. Bringing something to someone else. And sometimes in the Bible, an angel appears as a human being, and most often an unseen force. 
Angels have to do with the mysterious manifestations of God's caring intervention in the world. And a part of our belief at times is God has someone or an angel watching over me at times. Uh, There are some people in life that don't protect themselves because of a lot of stupid decisions that they make, and yet God has protected them through some bad choices. Whether it's the use of drugs or carelessness on a motorcycle or, or different things that we tend to do that we don't realize how really fragile we are as human beings. And God somehow steps in and intervenes and protects, and then sometimes that doesn't happen. And that can cause great frustration and cause a lot of anger at times, because we can blame God when something goes wrong and we have to reap what we have sown and and we say, well, why did God allow this? And I can't answer that question. There are times God seems to intervene, and there are times where God chooses to let us kind of learn from our experiences. And sometimes God reveals himself, and sometimes he remains unseen in the process. And so having given you this, we come to Luke chapter 2, and we see this moment where angels step in and they bring a strange experience to the shepherds and an even stranger message that there has been one that has been born. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, the book of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says, you just need to be careful because there have been human beings that at times have experienced angels not knowing so. Here's what Hebrews 13.2 says, Not to neglect the showing of hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. Isn't that interesting? That at times there is a moment when maybe we have touched an angel. Or an angel has touched us. And I'm not trying to be weird here, and I'm not trying to say I, you know, I've I've gone crazy. All I'm saying is that there's an unseen element to our existence that we don't fully understand. Science has tried to contribute to this concept. How many of you have ever heard of a parallel universe? Have you heard of that? Now, is it true? I don't know. Parallel worlds are often argued in the context of string theory and quantum mechanics, and that's about all I know of it. But the building blocks of matter can arrange themselves in different ways that scientists tell us that there's more going on in the universe than what we can see, feel, hear, and touch. And maybe that's about as far as we can go with it. There's something strange at times that happens. 
But what I do know is this, the Bible assumes that we live in a universe in which the veil between heaven and earth is thin. That each touch each other in profound ways. So in Luke chapter 2, here's this group of shepherds and these shepherds experience this moment where it says the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Singular, angel of the Lord, just like an angel appeared to Joseph and Mary and Zechariah. But all of a sudden, after they are given this assurance, don't be afraid, I'm bringing you good news that will be great joy for all people. It says in verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Did that angelic assembly become visible? Or were they only heard? Remember at Jesus' baptism, there was a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son. No physical uh, appearance, but the vocal appearance. In the Christmas story, angels are emissaries of grace and goodwill who lend assistance in critical moments. So this great company is assisting even those on the bottom tier of society, shepherds. Those that do the job nobody else wants. Those that get minimum wage. Those that have no real protection or social safety net. I'll talk more about that online this week. But somehow this text is telling us that angels help us in moments where God's grace is needed. And so the shepherds will respond, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. That which we don't fully understand, we'll take a step of faith and we'll figure out what has happened. We human beings live our lives on earth suspended between heaven and earth and life and death and good and evil. But we are not left to fend for ourselves because God sends help along the way. And perhaps the simplest way to understand the angelic world is they are helpers from heaven. How many of you have seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Okay. So, there is a man by the name of George Bailey, and he's got all kinds of problems, and he's thinking of ending it all. And he meets on the bridge a guy by the name of Clarence. And Clarence is there on that bridge, and they seem to help one another. The strange part of that movie is George, as he's about to jump, rescues his guardian angel, Clarence, who in turn 
shows George that his life has purpose and has meaning. And Christmas is that moment in time where expectations are this high. We want to duplicate the kind of Christmas we had in 1985 or whatever it is, right? And it falls short, and it falls short. Next year, we're going to do bigger, we're going to do better. And it falls short. We put all this pressure on ourselves to try to make Christmas something maybe that it was never intended to be. Maybe Christmas, as much as I love all of the pageantry of it, the lights, the music, the gift-giving, the getting together with friends and family, there's a better idea. Maybe Christmas for us is the show of God's power to transform and overturn and make things new. And maybe it's to give us hope all over again. And maybe that's what the angelic world is trying to do. It did for George Bailey. Take a look. telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast (laughs) to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Maybe we need to rewatch that movie. Not because it's literally true that there is a Clarence that intervenes, but maybe just to see how sometimes the support of other people can bring us up out of despair and anxiety 
can transform a heart of hatred into a heart of love. To transform a vindictive individual into a heart of grace. And maybe the unseen and the seen intersect somehow. I don't know. But like the angels going away into heaven, there is the possibility that the vision fades. And we go back to thinking of Christianity as some type of private religion of not much use for the practical problems and real problems of the world. Or we can really believe that the story of the angels is a public appeal to celebrate the possibility of the one who is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And maybe to become the visible presence of God in an unseen world, of the unseen world in our world. I want you to ponder this this week. God uses forces, seen and unseen, to influence the world toward peace on earth and goodwill. Will we be willing to listen to our better angels? That's a phrase that Abraham Lincoln used. In that turbulent time of the civil war of a nation divided, And he called upon all people to listen to their better angels. And maybe that's what Christmas really is all about, is to understand Christ coming into the world and helping us to lean into the better angels that's there to help influence us toward peace on earth and goodwill toward all people.